0: Let's love Jesus. Would you lift your hands all over the house? Let's give him praise. Come on, everybody in the building. We all owe him praise. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and praise him. He's so worthy. He's so worthy. for his goodness tonight. Are you glad to be in God's house? Let me read a scripture to you and then I'll let you be seated. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 and verses 11 and 12. And then for all of you speedy people, we're going to read one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. Judges chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Judges 6 reads like this, And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Look at this verse closely. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Temporal means thereof finite they're in they're in the realm of time but the things which are not seen are eternal and by God's grace I want to preach to you for a little while here tonight about seeing lift your hands and let's ask him one more time to bless us tonight. Lord, let your spirit uh, overshadow us and fall upon us tonight. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven be upon us, Lord, we pray. There's nothing like the power of God, the goodness of God. Touch us with the Holy Ghost, Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, turn around and shake hands with a couple of people and greet them and smile. Greet them in Jesus' name. Amen. And when you get through doing that, you may be seated. such a great meeting, and uh, Brother and Sister Goddare are just such gracious people. I would hate to be standing at the judgment bar having criticized Johnny or Sister as they're just about, They're just about as close to human perfection as I know. And uh, they just are so intimidating. (laughs) Just try to live for God, and you look at them, and you just say, I'm just pathetic. (laughs) Hallelujah. Anyway, but it's such a great thing that they would deign to consider the rest of us friends. I consider you like me. You're not in their class. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, that we all are uh, accepted into that fellowship is a great thing. This church is just so gracious, and they just know how to do stuff and hosting and the whole thing. And um, we are just so happy about that. And, and there's so much, and there's so much joy and happiness, in all of this good singing. I loved every single uh, moment of it, um, and it's just, it's just. It makes me really just want to cut up. (laughs) Uh, The deal is, though, uh, by the way, I am the executive chairman of the (laughs) WPF. What are you laughing at? And I'm just honest. I do it for the money. <laughs> <Hallelujah>. Praise God. <laughs> just always wondered where well, these jobs get all this money. <laughs> oh, the preaching so far has just been over the top. I mean, my <clears throat> ah, Lord. Uh, and we thank God. Goodness, the the reason that we cannot just, there's a time to cut up, but the reason we can't just cut up tonight is because of Brother Smith's report. If we were pushed off on the side in some peripheral, non-important, unengaged way, if we were pushed there by God, then we could justify just saying, well, we're just going to cut up to the rapture and then we'll just get out of this joint and it's all over. The fact of the matter is that's not the case. We find ourselves with Philadelphia and Laodicea paralleling in the last days. And while Laodicea is backsliding, Philadelphia, on the other hand, is seeing an unprecedented This is not an exaggeration, an unprecedented, global, apostolic, one God, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled, revival going on in our world. That is not hyperbole. That is not exaggeration. That is a fact. Amen. And Brother Smith just touched the tip of the iceberg tonight. He could spend 45 minutes up here just telling you what's happening where he's been. And it's also happening in Asia. And it's also happening in... In Central America, it's also happening in South America It's also, there is a global Listen, I don't know what your eschatology is Right now, just kind of lay it down long enough If you don't believe there's going to be a revival Just kind of don't talk about it for a while You don't have to give it up You can go ahead and believe there is no revival But that's fine with me, I don't care But just kind of lay it aside Don't be talking about it right now I mean, when God's filling hundreds of thousands of people with the Holy Ghost You ought to chill a little bit And just let God do what he's doing We'll worry about all that argument later on Come on, let's praise him for what he's doing. And the fact that he is allowing us to be right in the dead center. When I say us, I don't just mean me or I don't just mean a. A, a legally organized group. I mean those apostolics who are committed and sold out to the message and sold out to letting God do what they want to do. We are seeing that revival. So that kind of, that kind of changes the dynamic of, of what we need to do with our precious time when we're preaching and our time when we are, uh, have an opportunity to inform or guide or influence people towards the right direction. And uh, with that in mind tonight, I do believe that the fact that we're in the end time also has something to do with how we preach at this point. I'm not preaching yet. I'm testifying. And it has something to do with how we preach. And therefore, I can't just cut up tonight because, uh, because the, the end time is upon us and there's a, there are enormous and powerful uh, Earth and cosmic forces that are flowing through the universe and spiritual things, dynamics that are taking place. And I know a lot of people are asleep and don't recognize what's happening, but the truth is, is it's a, it's a different day. This is not the 20th century. This is not the world that I was raised in. This is, I mean, if you haven't got that through your mind tonight, you need to start right now making some adjustments. It's not 1955 and the world's leave it to Beaver and all the rest of it. Everybody just having their little place in suburbia. We are in a changed world. Amen. We're in a changed world. It's not a bad world. It's just that you've got to wake up and say, I'm going to be a part of what God's doing in this day. I feel a whole lot of Holy Ghost in this room right now. I'm not trying to jack you up. I'm just telling you the Holy Ghost is here, and he's talking to us. Would you lift your hands and magnify him again? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's clap our hands and praise the King of Kings. And also another reason that I can't just cut up tonight I got cut up messages. They just make you fall off the pew ladder. Some of them I've preached enough that they're honed to a fine art. But another reason is, is that when you put together the end time when you put together what God is doing that we did not see just a few years ago. When I put together that I'm 68 years old and that I have some decisions to make about my life, am I going to look forward to setting around and atrophying into nothing? Or has God given me the strength that he's given me and still given me the lucidity of mind to be able to realize what's happening in the world, and the combined knowledge of men and women in this room that know a million things about God that you don't even think about because you're in an apostolic atmosphere that teaches and guides and instructs you in the ways of God and gives you a level of maturity that you are totally unaware of and that the world is unaware of so you never have anybody to tell you about this. The world's unaware of it because they don't know it and they don't respect it and they don't know what a quality congregation of people is that has been honed by the word of God for years and all of the factors that's went into we don't need to be dissing our, our forefathers either because all of that stuff and all of the little things they did and all put it, and now here we are and God is taking the combined elements and he is using it to do a mighty work in the earth. And you and I are standing smack dab in the middle of it and i'm not intending to use the last years of my life the next 30 years i'm not intending to use them just fooling around i intend to use them to smack the devil right in the mouth every chance i get and say we're not backing up we're not afraid of you we know god's on the throne we're coming at you you better get your best garment on because we're coming in jesus name come on we ought to clap him and praise we ought to clap him and praise him again there's holy ghost here tonight let's don't just take it for granted let's praise him Dead. Let me preach to you for a little while. Paul preached to a guy, fell out the window, and killed himself. At least they thought he was dead. And then Paul went and resurrected him. If I preach that long, you fall out. We'll just gamble whether you get resurrected or not. It'd be better if you just stayed away. Amen. So I want to preach to you for a little while tonight about seeing how God sees. I was doing some study over the last few years about the question of what would, if you could ask the most basic question in the universe, what would that basic question be? If you was able to reduce Everything to its lowest and most singular definition. What would that definition be of something? And if you were talking about anything, this pulpit or these men or women or this pair of glasses or anything, if you were talking about it, what would be the most elemental, foundational, basic thing that you can say about anything. And the most basic elemental thing that you could say about anything is, of course, that it is. That is the most basic thing you can say about something is is that it is. Now, then you can add a lot of categories on top of that. It is big. It is little. It is alive. It is dead. It is animate. It's inanimate. It is this color. It's this size. It's this shape. It's this length. It's a, all of those are categories of isness. But the very first thing is that something is. The second, the second question, uh, and both theology and philosophy would agree tonight with what I'm saying, at least to the point. I'm not going to go to the point. Here tonight to where they would start disagreeing, but they would all disagree with this part—that anything that is that has being—you notice being is a is a uh, present tense. If you're talking about humans, it's human being. There are no human wazings. And there are no human will-be's. There is only, reality consists only of being. So all of you that are living in the nostalgia of the past, when David had them, he said, Oh, that I could draw from the waters of Bethlehem. And they went and three men, went, loyal men, went and got the water for him. And they brought it back to him. I don't think it was just that David was thirsty. David was under pressure. David was uh, surrounded on every side. David was tired and he was distraught. And I think David going to the wells of Bethlehem where he was a boy was a nostalgic act that he was trying to bring the waters of yesterday back and drink them And bring answers for today by quenching his thirst with nostalgic thoughts of yesterday. And when the water got there, David recognized that we cannot quench today's thirst with yesterday's memories. And so he dumps the water on the ground like every good leader has to do. No matter what successes we've had yesterday no matter how good we've done, no matter how many praises people sing of any of us in our, and uh, acknowledge the accomplishments that we've made collectively or individually, this is no day to be spending our time drinking yesterday's waters. This is the day for us to dump them out and say, I know I may be in a situation right now, but the God that gave me those successes yesterday is the God that's going to take care of me in the day that I'm in because I don't have wasing and I don't have will be I only have being and this is where I'm at and this is where you're at and none of us have a choice about it so why don't we just suck it up and say God I'm going to live life to the fullness I'm going to live it to the hilt I'm not taking no for an answer and I'm going to see things I've never seen before I'm preaching to you what I believe I'm preaching you with conviction out of my heart. I'm not ready to back up. I'm not ready to give up. I'm not ready to concede one single thing to the devil. We won't leave one foot in Egypt. We're coming out in Jesus' name. And God's on our side. And God is anointing us. Come on, let's praise him again. He's worthy of more praise than we're giving him right now. seated. And the second thing, the second question is if, if the primary reality, if you want to define the word reality or what is real, what is real is that which is. What is real is that which has being. If it doesn't have being, then it is non-being. Non-being is not a thing, it's just negation of being. Best we can do. You can't can't say, well, show me non-being. If it's non-being, there's nothing to show you. It's either a thing or no thing. Nothing. And so the second question is, everything that has being, what is its primary characteristic? What is the primary characteristic of everything that has being? The primary characteristic of everything that has being is that it has, that being is comprised of an invisible and a visible singular self. It's not two selves, it's one self, but it's comprised of the invisible, like I'm talking to you right now, and I'm using my tongue and my vocal cords and my brain and whatever else I'm using, shaking my head right now. Shaking my hand right now. But you know that it's not just my tongue talking to you. And this is why we get nervous when we stare at somebody for a little while. Your brother Godair and I are talking, and I just keep staring in his eyes, and I never look away. He's getting nervous. Look at him. He's getting nervous. (laughs) We we get nervous. And... And... uh, We become aware that what I'm looking at is not this face, it's not this shoulder, it's not just these eyes. I'm I'm looking at there's a there's a spirit, there's a it's almost Halloween. There's a there's a there's a Johnny Godare that I don't see that is the real Johnny Godare. You get it, you get it. And if that Johnny Godare was not presencing Abiding, thank you, preacher today, Brotherhood. Wherever you are. Abiding. If there, the Johnny Godare that's invisible has the presence in the visible Johnny Godare for there to be a Johnny Godare. That's not two Johnny Godares. That is the what would be called the structure of individuality. The structure of individuality is that there I'm going to preach in a minute. The structure of individuality is that is that individuality is comprised of an invisible self and a visible self. The next step to that is that the invisible self is the ideal self. In talking about humans it would be the flesh warth against the spirit. If you're talking about humans. If you're talking about this chair can we unhook this chair? You've got to have a degree in rocket science to unhook these chairs. and. Brother Archer, earlier, un- got that fixed up. But this chair here, I'm carrying the, vi- I'm trying to carry the visible chair, okay? No one is so comfortable. You gotta be Hercules to carry the thing. <laughs> Strong as I am, you other guys couldn't even pick this thing up. But this chair Uh Uh, has an invisible self. You say, well, how do you know that? You're just up there talking. Well, let me tell you what. Let's say I took that leg right there off. It's gone. Now it's a three-legged chair. What would you say when you saw that chair? You'd say, that chair's visible self is not complete. And I would say to you, How do you know it's not complete? you'd say, well, because a chair like that is supposed to have four legs. How do you know it's supposed to have four legs? (laughs) Well, I just know. Well, how do you know? The way that you know is that you have a concept of that chair in its ideal state. And so the visible state since the fall of Adam, the visible state of everything, is always, with Jesus Christ being the exception, is always less than its invisible ideal state. This is a really nice, fairly new chair, but if I look close enough, I'll find a scratch. If I look, if I look as close as some, as some preachers do at my church, I'll find something wrong. They might ought to take a look in the mirror is what they ought to do. (laughs) Hallelujah. Bless God. (laughs) Because there is no perfect visible. There is no perfect visible. But there is an ideal self. God told Moses, he said, Moses, build the tabernacle after the pattern." That I have showed thee that is in heaven. Who serve unto the example. Your tabernacle will serve unto the example of and shadow of heavenly things. Of heavenly. There was a heavenly tabernacle. That everything that he did is a replication of what is in heaven. But the heavenly is perfect. There isn't one piece of Moses' tabernacle that was absolutely, to the most infinite degree, perfect. There would be something about the visible of that invisible that was not perfect. And so, even the church today is a thing, so to speak. It has isness, it is, it has being as a body of Christ. Somebody says, Well, the church is not perfect. You're right, because as long as the church remains in its finite state, in existence, we exist different than our essence. When the Bible says in, in Hebrews 1 and 3, uh, whatever it says there, something about uh, faith is the substance. <laughs> Do I have that right? Faith. Yeah, you're as old as I am. Faith. Faith. Well, go there and I think it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance can also be said essence. Faith is the essence. Now, I'm ahead of myself a little bit there, but remember that. The essence. The essence of the thing is its invisible ideal. Is there six people still with me? All right? But, you know, you need to get this. We don't need theology for dummies. We need all the dummies to just come on up and ratchet up with the God-given ability we got and figure it out and let God equip us to reach and do what has to be done in this world and put the apostolic message on the marketplace of world ideas where it will authoritatively take its place and stand against anything, anywhere, anytime. Come on, let's praise Him again. something is its ideal perfection. If I'm up here and I'm preaching and I've been in a car wreck and my nose is smashed over, I I, I haven't, but I'm thinking of a friend of mine who is like this. And his nose is smashed over and he's older than me so it was back when they didn't have good nose fixing stuff. And you look and you say, his nose is messed up. You know, because you know what noses ought to be. You know, noses. No, noses. You get it? So we know what the ideal is. There's a lot of men in here right now. They are not in the ideal shape. There's men all over this building weeping because they don't look like I do. What's the laughter all about? But you know what I'm talking about. Obviously, I don't have to tell you I'm joking because you know what ideal is and you're looking at me while I'm preaching. (laughs) And so the visible is always inferior to the invisible. And the invisible is always superior. It's the standard by which the visible is gauged as to how real it is. And if the visible wanders too far, I can't go through all this tonight, but another thing about the visible is it always seeks independence from its invisible self. Its invisible self of this chair is perfect, but this chair seeks independence. It rots. It atrophies. The springs break down, whatever. The foam breaks down. Somebody makes it dirty by putting their foot in it stuff happens to it. It's not what it was initially. And so the longer that chair is in this church and the more fat people sit in it, the further it goes from its perfect self until finally it reaches the point that it falls apart. And you can no longer recognize it as a chair. And so the chair has entered a state of non-being. It is no longer a chair. It's trash. That can happen to anything. And I can't preach all the myriad examples that could go with this tonight. That could happen to a church. A church has one ideal pattern And there's only one way, one place in the universe that that ideal pattern is given. We don't have any other ideal pattern. And for all of you that maybe listen on Holy Ghost Radio that are not apostolic Pentecostal, let me tell you, one of the hermeneutical rules of distinct two apostolic Pentecostals is is that the definition of the church in its most mature form is found in the New Testament. You don't have an embryonic church in the New Testament that had to be developed and its doctrine was incomplete and so they had to develop in the 3rd and 4th century. You don't have a church whose theology didn't use all the right words so we had to make up words afterwards uh, to help God and those ignorant apostles to know how to describe Pentecostal or Apostolic or, or Christian theology. No, 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 no. It's all done in an Apostolic hermeneutic by the close of the Apostolic Church Age. In the Bible, you have the most mature form of the Apostolic Church And there is no better. And if you want to be restorationists, uh, you have to go back to this book. And we went all the way back to the birthday of the thing where it says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises of you and your children. Come on. Come on. You get it. You get it. We ought to celebrate it a little bit. be seated. And so somebody said, well, if the church was just born, how could it be in its most mature form? It's the body of the second Adam. And the first Adam was, I don't even know how to say it. He wasn't born. Came to being full grown. And the church taken from the side of Christ comes to being full grown and in its optimum condition and its perfection and I don't have time to go into it tonight but every single characteristic and attribute of the Christian church is found not only in the New Testament it's found on the day of Pentecost you can find every single attribute of the New Testament church throughout eternity on the day of Pentecost it was full and complete You don't have to go any further. In fact, you're going to get in trouble when you start letting the visible divest itself of the ideal pattern found in the invisible. Ah, come on, let's praise him again. you got churches that still have the moniker on the door of apostolic, but it's it's totally rotted. It the, doesn't have legs anymore. doesn't have a back. It's just pieces and compromising pastors leave the pieces laying around the auditorium so that all the old folks that can remember a better day can still see, well, there's a chair leg. I guess we still got a little bit. Well, that looks like a piece of the back at one time. I guess we still got a little bit, but it's long gone and it's a sad day. I don't want to be there. That's why I'm saying we're in the cutting edge of this thing. Let's don't back up. Don't be foolish enough. Why would you want to follow the evangelical movement, which is dying, who can't even keep pastors in their churches? Why do you want to follow that? Why don't you follow what the Holy Ghost is doing and just transforming the world and you and I are in the middle of it as one God, apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled, holiness-believing, separated from the world-believers. I think I'll just run my little aisle here. Oh, hallelujah. I'm running my little aisle right here. Praise God. I'm glad I'm a one God, apostolic, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, baptized in Jesus' name, devil-chasing, preacher. Hallelujah. Amen. I had a... Jesus is here. That's not hype. That's Jesus that's in this room. Professor in the doctoral program several years ago. In the late 90s, he said he was a professor at Penn State University. And he was teaching a class that I was in and he said it was break time. And everybody was taking a break. We were out in a little courtyard there next to the classroom. And he came by and he said, Nate, I said, yeah. He said, so you're a preacher. I said, yeah. He said, that's interesting. He said, you know, I never, he said, I just never could embrace the idea of original sin. Original sin, which means we believe everybody is born in sin, shaping, and iniquity since the fall of Adam. Add, you're in sin before you commit your first sin, which may be by the, why there is a two-part process. perhaps baptism gets rid of Adam's curse, and repentance gets rid of your actions. So you might repent of your sins and still have Adam's curse on you because you can't repent enough for what came down to you through history that you didn't do. You better get baptized in Jesus' name for that old Adamic nature. Harry, it's an official record in heaven's courthouse that said he is now transferred from the family of Adam with an inheritance of death to the family of Jesus with an inheritance of life. So he said, said, I don't, I can't, I just could never get, embrace the idea of original sin. I said, well, I think you do. He said, no. I said, yeah, I think you do. I mean, I mean, like, who is he to tell me? about the world. The world doesn't know anything about itself. Because the world lies in darkness. You have to have enlightenment. You have to have light and light comes from outside of the world. So if you won't take the light from outside of the world then you're in darkness. Don't don't tell me what you know. You don't you you don't know nothing. The church, in fact, is sent here to tell the world about itself because it doesn't know about itself and it needs the church to enlighten it that here's your dilemma and here's your solution. And we've got it right here. Come on, get in it. Man, you ought to be glad you're saved. You ought to just be standing on your head with joy. That somehow, little old you, got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus name and found a church to go to where the preacher preaches the truth. And if you're here tonight and you haven't got it, this is your night. So I told him, I said, "I, I uh, I think you believe in original sin. He said, no. I said, yeah, I think you do. I said, well, okay. Tell me how I believe in it. I said, well, this will be simple. Do you believe that there is a gap between what you are and what you could be? He said, of course. I said, that's original sin. Because there would be no gap between what you are and what you could be. Except that there was a fall. And so now all of us are born with the gap. And we all are aware that we're born and shapen in sin and iniquity. We all know that we're not what we ought to be. But what we preach is that through the last Adam, the second man, that gap can be closed. And you are in Christ who has conquered that situation. That's why 11 times in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul says you're in Christ. Because if I'm in Christ, then I've got his perfection. And God looks at me as the existential man returned to my essential self. Well, act like you got it whether you did or not. So, now we can talk about all that, but I'm, I'm done with that. So, how do I see my ideal self? Well, I would propose to you that you only see your ideal self in its complete form by a revelation from outer space. That you cannot find in any of earth's constructs the knowledge of yourself. And that it cannot come to you by logic or thought. It has to come to you by revelation. And the moment you restrict your frame of receiving truth to only rationality. Or to enlightenment based modernistic thinking, which will accept nothing as real unless it comes through the scientific method of experimentation. Unless you will let yourself know, like the sun outside of our world, 93 million miles away, unbidden and by no effort of man or no ingenuity of man. Light comes to our world as a gracious gift from the creator of the universe. That is a parallel to the enlightenment that comes when God said, let there be light in Genesis 1 and 3, where light comes to you and I of a spiritual nature that has moral elements and spiritual components. And when that light comes, it shows us not only God, but it shows us our potential self. And then it shows us our existing self. And when we see our existing self, we're like Isaiah. And we say, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I am undone. Not only does God give us a view of ourselves. Jesus said, have I been preaching five minutes yet? I think I'm in about five minutes here. i got another five. Jesus said in John 5.19, I do nothing except what my Father showeth me. Every miracle, Brother there hates to be used as an example when you're preaching. Yeah, but he's accepting it tonight. He's a good man. That's why I don't want to criticize him in heaven because he just rolls with the punches. It's me. I'd be all alley and looking at the guy and say, "Don't do that to me." He just rolls with it, and then he goes on to tell Sister Godir, that guy's an idiot. But anyway, but if brother, if brother Godair had a crippled arm or leg here, and it was evident, number one, we would all know it because we have already a vision of what the ideal human anatomy is, that the legs work right, the arms work right, and so forth. But when Jesus saw the crippled leg, saw the cripple, he may have seen the cripple for an instant, but then revelation kicked in, and he saw the cripple like he was supposed to be. And he saw the cripple in his ideal state, in his perfect state. And that revelation of that man, he fixated it. That's what faith is. Faith is the fixation of revelation and the unwillingness to be knocked off of the block of faith that says it will happen because God revealed this to me. And so when somebody said, They shouldn't be crying out. He shouldn't be yelling, I'm blind. He shouldn't be doing this. Don't touch his garment. Get back. Jesus saw those people and he didn't let any of that interrupt him. And when he touched them, to him, it was not changed from what he saw to what he didn't see. It was changed from what he saw to what he saw. And he was, that's why the Bible uses the word whole over and over again. It says he made them whole. He made them whole whole, he didn't just heal them, he made them whole, salvation means uh, wholeness, body, soul and spirit the word whole with a W is tied to the word holy they come from the same root uh, in which holy without a W and holy with a W come from the same root, to be holy is to be whole, Uh, it is to be everything you can be, it is not to have any part of you defective or away from the perfection that God intended for a human being to be Faith is a substance. Sub means under. Invisible. Faith is a product of revelation. Of seeing the thing whole. Whether it's a city having revival. Or whether it's a person getting healed. Or whatever it is. Whether it's some problem in your life. You see it is made whole. God reveals it. There's a dynamic to it. It's not imagination. It's revelation. Two different things. Imagination is conjured out of the human mind. Revelation comes from God to the human mind. And there's a transforming element. And so when Jesus saw those fishermen, he didn't see them as fishermen of fish. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's how he saw. And everybody else said they're ignorant, unlearned men. And all of you that don't believe in apostolic education, let me just drop a little word here into your little pea brain. Those men for three years, were, they, had, they had education by immersion for three years. In fact, Jesus said at one point, Day and night I have taught you. They didn't just go to bed at sundown and get up the next day. Through the night, he would be waking them up and saying, Okay, boys, I want to tell you something here. That it was immersion where he was telling them, We need apostolic revelation. We don't need a bunch of stuff in the world, but we need apostolic insight. we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Paul said. All right. So sub means under, behind, invisible. Stance, substance. Faith is a substance. Stance is something that's standing back here. Behind it and under it, it's the invisible that girds up the presence that is in the visible. Somebody says, Well, well listen, when your building's falling down and the whole city's making fun of you and you're on the front pages and you've got a only time you've got a four-colored paper picture on the front page of the Sacramento Bee is when your building fell down and everybody's making fun of you and everybody's saying, What a nut, and everybody and they're they're right. They, you know, don't get uptight about it. If your building falls down, you're a nut. So anyway, okay. So but I, but I like myself, so I'm just a loving nut, you know. Just. But when they cross one more line and say, He'll never do it. Eh, 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 eh. You're fixing to eat those words, Bubba. He'll put it back up. He'll get there. It may take longer than he thinks, but because why? Because it's not coming out of, in, uh, out of human determination. It's coming out of revelation that God said, this is what I'm going to have in this city. This is what I'm going to have in this place. Huh? So all of the extraneous stuff that happens, I can't explain it all. And it may be my fault that it may not be my fault. But I want to tell you, when it's all said and done, God's going to have a church in your city if he sent you there and gave you the revelation. If you've got enough tenacity to say, not backing up, not quitting. I'll take whatever it comes. I'll get beat up, but I'm not quitting. I'm going to have what God promised me that I'm going to have. And for me, that means worldwide, apostolic revival sweeping around the world. That's where I'm at. That's what I believe. I'm not backing up on that. I'm seeing it happen. I'm excited about it. And it's going to get bigger, not smaller. Come on, in faith. Let's grab that right now. You young people that's goofy enough to believe with me, without hesitation, clap your hands and believe God with me. Me see. I'm not through and I gotta hurry along here. Oh, yeah. So, how big is the gap between where I am and seeing myself as God sees me? God looks at me. What does he see in the ideal? Nathaniel Wilson. And what does he say to himself? If that boy only knew. If that boy would only get serious about me revealing myself to him Why don't we do that? Well, I'll tell you why we don't do that. Because seeing ourselves is a terrifying experience. Everybody. And invariably, when we see ourselves in the spirit, it will come as a shock. And it will jolt us. Don't get into theology on this. Just take it for what I'm preaching it right now. Everybody. Jesus is baptized and it comes out of the water. And it's like he got gonged on the head. And the voice says, in essence, you're the Messiah. And it's not just words. It's the full revelation of the implications of being Messiah, which he was the son of God from birth. But the full implication of what it meant to be Messiah fell upon him at his baptism. And one of the gospel writers says, and he was driven of the spirit into the wilderness. What did he do on the Mount of Temptation? He ferreted out identity. The devil says, if thou be the Son of God, identity. Turn the stones around. bread. If thou be the Son of God, do thus and so. He gets back home in his family. It's all about identity. If the devil can talk you into being a little stinking weasel, he will. If the devil can talk you into forfeiting the potential of what you could be, He'll talk you into it. If the devil can tell you how terrifying it is for you to reach the full possibility of what it is to be a child of God, which we're nowhere close to it tonight. There's not a one of us in this room that is remotely close to the potential that's within us. Uh, That potential is so potent, I don't care if you're 75 years old. That potential, it's so potent that if you get some of it in you for just one year of your life, it will be more than 75 years premium. It'll do more. This is why there's no getting old in the kingdom of God. One drop of this stuff will blow up the world. This is so potent revelation of self by the dynamic of the Holy Ghost is so potent that nobody can stand before it. So, Gideon is terrified the enemy has convinced him that God does not do the miracles that he did for his forefathers he is threshing wheat by the wine press some biblical scholars say that he was actually in a big barrel hiding in there threshing the wheat where the Midianites could not see him and he is a nothing and a nobody Until he gets a visitation from God. And with that visitation, God says, Gideon, hey boy hiding in the tank, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon is embarrassed. He's humiliated. He says, God doesn't know me. See, when God tells us to do something, that's what we do. We say, oh, wait, God, you don't know me. Uh, Do you know who you're talking to? Or we say, oh, God, I can't do that. (laughs) There's no way I can do that. And God's like, hello? Me, God. Me know you. <laughs> and so God slaps. It was the ultimate shock to Gideon the coward that God would say, Thou mighty man of valor. And so God starts the process of remolding the thinking of that man about him. He says, you're a mighty man of value. He said, no, 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 no. And he brings out all of his evidence. All of his evidence of his exist, existential, finite, flawed self. And he says, no, God. I am the least, I'm in the least tribe, which is Manasseh. I, I, my family is the least family in the tribe. And I am the least, I want to tell you, Greatness will out without consideration of geographical location. Brother Wilson, I'm just out here in Podunk. Uh, 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 Has no bearing if you ever get revelation of greatness that God's going to explode out of you. The geographical location of where you are means nothing. Quit worrying about it. Quit feeling like somebody else is in the big city. They got the No, 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 no. God has a way of using you that's so unique. Uh, that big city, small city, no city. It won't make any difference. God will take greatness and bring it to the forefront. And Gideon is an example. My mom and dad aren't even saved. Well, I don't even have a mom and dad. Well, I don't, I'm an adopted kid. I don't look. Lay it all down, Bubba. Lay it all down. When God gives you a revelation of how you are seen in your ideal state as the image of God, the Imago Dei, when when God made you in His image, uh, and you're down here looking at it yourself in your in your in your prostitute mama's image. Uh, You need to lay all that down and say, no, no, I'm made in the image of God, devil, and I'm gonna fulfill that image, uh, and my potential is gonna meet that ideal, and I'm gonna become that person. seen his own essential self. Get that. I know the mind can only receive what the seat can endure. Just scrunch around a little bit. Hang on just a little bit longer. Get a little blood flowing. I'm sorry. I thought that was funny, but So everybody in the Bible that had this cataclysmic confrontation, you're, I'm, di- I'm going to be honest because I don't have time to beat around the bush, you're never going to mount the hill of beans if you don't have this confrontation. Because there is no doing anything for God that is more than wood, hay, and stubble unless it comes out of the dynamic revelation of God to a situation and God to a person who by action makes that situation happen. And the way you make that action happen is you see yourself capable of making that happen in spite of everything else. Hey, don't get so serious about yourself that you have a nervous breakdown about it. It's kind of fun where you say, hey, I'm going to do this, and God's going to help me do this, and I know I'm a nobody. Just think what this is going to be like. I don't have any way to do it. I I don't have nothing going for me. I'm just a nobody. I don't even have to worry about it. I'm laughing about it. But I want to tell you, when God gets through, he's going to take this old boy. He's going to take this. Come on. He's going to use me. I don't have to get all uptight about it. I'm just going to be molded in his image, and I'm going to step out on faith. Listen to me. Listen to me. You may be seated. Listen to me. You've got to look. You've got to say, what have I got to lose? Brother Wilson, I may lose my life. Well, what is your life anyway if it's not given to God? What kind of thing that life is that? Who cares about your life? Let's just all go ahead and die. If we're just a bunch of cowards, we're dying every day anyway. Hey, listen to me. God's not going to do some things for you. You've got to ratchet up the, the primary characteristic of human life to live human life. One thing is courage. That's the one thing you've got to have. Quit getting up every morning and saying, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to make it today. It ain't going to change, baby, until you get up and say, I know how I'm going to make it because I'm here, bless God. And whatever's out there, just bring it because I've got enough courage to face it because I'm a child of God. Only a half page. And I've already preached the top four points where you see those big square dots. So I'm going to this word right here is conclusion. And there's one paragraph under conclusion, so it ain't long from here, so be seated. condemn Jezebel and she deserves to be condemned as she looked out the window but a window is a frame that's the only frame through which Jezebel could see the world she had a small frame of reference of what was important in life and Michael David's wife is looking out the window a window is a frame so the only frame of reference that you better be careful what windows you're looking at and what size the frame. Because for her, uninhibited worship was hideous. This is why a lot of our worship doesn't play well on television. I mean, you get a close up shot of somebody getting the Holy Ghost, arr, 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 spits running out their mouth, knots running out their nose. Well, anyway, you get it. I mean, in Pentecost, a lot of times it gets ugly before it gets pretty. But when it gets pretty, it gets really pretty. Let's throw this in here as the executive chairman of WPF. So if you got a television you need to get rid of it. And if you're in a church that's compromising with television, you need to get your kids out of it. And television's not going away and television's not getting better. Television's getting worse and it's filled with immorality and unclean people that's dumping sewer on your carpet every time you turn the thing on and your kids are traipsing through it and taking it to bed and then it's infecting them in their breath while they're breathing and you're killing your kids because you don't have enough gut to stand up to the world and say you're not coming in my living room this is a sacred place come on let's praise you It's all right to celebrate about that. You may be seated. I got to get this last paragraph. You're messing me up. The fear. a lot of things that I am really pitiful at. Most things. I, 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 am, I cannot fix a car. Don't complain if I drive new cars. I drive them because if they break down, I'm like a baby. <laughs> I got the best AAA you can get. I don't even try to change a tire. I'll break my hand. I'll The car will fall off the jack. I mean, I'm... When I was a boy, my dad used to say, you're just like a powder puff. You can't do any of this stuff. I said, you're right. Do you have any books I can read, Dad? But it was kind of like, I'll let you call me powder puff, Dad. But if any of these other guys try it, they're going to see what it feels like to get hit with a powder puff. A lot of stuff I don't know. But I know what I'm talking about tonight. I know the terror as a teenager. In a little country church half the time with no pastor. Fifteen or twenty people. And somehow God got a hold of my heart and I went down there every day by myself. I was sometimes I was scared of the dark, it get dark Winter time before I could get out of there. I didn't have a driver's license, I had to walk or ride on a bike. There was a big finally got me a dog stick. <laughs> I'd get going as fast as I could past the houses where the big dogs were. And then I'd I'm talking about courage. I was scared out of my mind. Big German police dogs. I'd get that bike going as fast as I could. And I'd start yelling. <laughs> you bark at me, I'll bark at you. When they come ah, ah, ah. You're not stopping me from praying, you German shepherd W. <laughs> the spiritual terror of day after day, month after month, week after week, year after year of not knowing anything. God, I know one thing, and that's you. I don't want nothing else. I don't care about nothing else. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to stay right here until you show me what I am. And so most people avoid it. Text my wife. If you saw me texting in church tonight and last night, I'm guilty. I'll preach against that. But I'm an, I'm an exception. I'm an exception to the rule. Because while Brother Tiller was preaching last night, God was giving me revelation. And to a certain extent, God was giving me a little correction. And he was giving me correction about a counseling session I had Sunday night before church. was with a young lady in our church. She's 22 years old. She's a beautiful girl, intelligent, brilliant. I don't have her email, boys, but I could probably get it for you. <laughs> Pretty as a picture. She got a couple years of college behind her and assistant or something, associate school, <clears throat> because it would provide her a good job. While she was there, she was there about 90 days or so, or whatever. And she said, she called Brother Young, Pastor. She said, Pastor, I don't like this. She, he said, okay. Well, what do you think? She said, I just don't like it. I don't like the environment. said, I'm just not, I'm not comfortable. Her folks are paying for this, and they're not in our church, but they're, they got sense and they love their kids, and she came home and she told her parents, she said, "Uh, mom and dad, I I, I can't do this, and they said, okay, if you don't want to do it, let's write it off. What do you want to do? She said, I don't know. Sister Wilson. Sister Wilson punted. She said, you need to talk to Brother Wilson. So, so I talked to her. And we'll call her Sammy. I said, Sammy, talk to me. So she told me everything I just told you. Some of it I knew from Sister Wilson. Some of it I didn't. I said, okay, Sammy, you told me all that. What do you want to do? She said, I don't know, Brother Wilson. She said, I'm I'm going to stay in school. And she said, because I know I need to do that. Whatever else I do, I said, I agree. said, I'm going to try to find a job, some kind of job to keep me in school until I can find direction. I said, I agree. So we talked a little bit, and I said, okay. Sammy, here's what you do. Go to school you find a job and let's believe God to open the right door but when I said let's believe God to open the right door I'm being vulnerable to you tonight I was closing the door on what I needed to tell her I was closing the door because I've let part of my life fall into the frame of what is considered sensible. And that frame excludes oftentimes the voice of revelation in your life. And while I was sitting here last night, standing right here, praying, and God was talking to me and said, text your wife and tell her to get a hold of Sammy Tell Sammy to listen to you preach tomorrow night in Durham because here's what you're supposed to tell her. And I want you to tell her publicly so that others understand that these things apply to their life too. So, Sammy, I just checked with Sister Wilson and Sister Young before I started preaching tonight, and they told me that you're listening. First of all, I want to apologize for not being sensitive enough to tell you what I should have told you last night for Sunday night and had the guts to just lay it on the line. But I didn't want to shock you. I didn't want to jolt you. I know the terror what happens when you see yourself as God sees you. I know the I know the destiny that gets a hold of you, and whether you obey it or disobey it, you can never be the same again. It may be better to be shallow, but I'm obeying God on you. I don't know about everybody else. Here's what you need to do, Sammy you need to keep going to school you need to go to the prayer room and you need to start praying and you need to make a list Sacramento is the most diverse city in America for its size it's got everybody I have an Indian neighbor I have a Vietnamese neighbor I have a (laughs) traditional American neighbor our church has got multiple city has thousands, tens of thousands. Russians, Middle Easterners, Ukrainians, Hispanics, blacks, um, Asians, other Asians, Hmong, Thai, Miles has a theology of the city that's revelatory. He said God is bringing people together in the last days in cities so we can reach them because we can't go to Iraq. So God's moving them into Sacramento. Are we reaching them or not? Are we taking advantage or are we saying what are those old dirty ragheads doing in So Sammy I want you to take a pencil and paper in that prayer room I want you to write every language that has a major people group in Sacramento I want you to write it down and I want you to pray and start looking at that list every day until God puts one of those on your heart I want you to pray for all those people groups I don't want you to just be like all the other young ladies in the Rock Church at your age, although they're good girls. God's hand of destiny is on you, or I wouldn't be saying this tonight. I want you to break the mold. And I want you to pray until God puts your finger on one of those. And then I want you in, in college to find whatever college in town will teach you that language. It may take you three years, four years, five years. You're going to go ahead and get your education in you may go ahead and get a job somewhere else but you're going to but you're going to learn this language and then you're